This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Bob Ambrogi, coming to you from Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court, Bob. And I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. Today, Craig, we have a, a very special edition of Coast to Coast uh, as we sit here in the States and hear, listen to news about uh, what's going on in Iraq uh, we often wonder about what life is like over there, particularly for lawyers over there. Well, Bob, the world of a JAG officer is a challenging one, taking on physical training alongside practicing law and being far away from home. On the other hand, the satisfaction of helping Iraqis and soldiers legally is a huge part of the duties of the JAG officers. And I've got a little bit of experience that in myself, uh, having been in the Coast Guard Academy, but not as a lawyer. But today we're going to be talking to a lawyer. Judge Advocates have provided professional legal services uh, to the Army for over 200 years. Uh, over that time, the Corps has grown dramatically to meet the Army's increased need for legal expertise. Today, there are approximately 1,500 attorneys in active duty and more than 3,000 judge advocates uh, working part-time uh, as members of the U.S. Army Reserve and Army National Guard. And today we're going to peer into the life of this of a JAG officer. We're going to talk to him about his day-to-day -day activities stationed in Iraq within some limitations, his role as a JAG officer and his experience, and take a look to the future. Uh, we'd like to welcome uh, Major John A. Engels to the show. Major Engels joined the Minnesota Army National Guard in 1989 as an infantry soldier. He served for nine years as an enlisted soldier serving in the infantry, field artillery, and armor. In 1998, he was commissioned as a judge advocate in the Minnesota Army National Guard and is currently serving in Iraq with the 1st Brigade Combat Team, 34th Infantry Division. Major Engels is serving as the command judge advocate for the 1st Brigade, for, for his Brigade Combat Team, Infantry Division, and supervises an officer office of five attorneys, 12 paralegals, and an interpreter. He is also a partner in the law firm of Peterson & Engels in Minnesota with his partner, Glenn Peterson. Before being activated to duty, uh, Major Engels was engaged in the general practice of law, including criminal prosecution for Lincoln County, serving as a city attorney for several small towns, and also working in the areas of real estate, estate planning, probate, collections, nonprofit organizations, corporations, business formation, and civil litigation. Major Engels is a resident of southwest Minnesota, married to his lovely wife, Amanda, and has four young children, Sophie, Peter, Sarah, and Benjamin. Uh, we're honored to have you on the program today, Major Engels. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, I'd like to ask you uh, what a typical day is like for you, but I imagine your answer is going to be there's no such thing as a typical day. But but tell us as best you can uh, what a day might look like for you right now. Well, we're, um, we do keep busy here in Iraq. We kind of joke about it internally that it's like Groundhog Day, the movie, because it seems like we, we go on every day. Uh, most days we... We get started here. We come to the office. We've got an office we work in. Uh, it's not uh, real plush by American standards, but it's pretty good by Iraq standards. Uh, we come in. I've got um, my staff officers that come and our paralegals, and we go through the various 
subject matters, whatever we may have. We have clients that come in. Those are generally our commanders and other people that we do work for come in. Uh, our legal assistance shop, legal assistance is more of our soldier services, so we'll have uh, civilian contractors come in, uh, people from the Air Force, the Army, that may need uh, legal consultation. And we, we go through cases, much like uh, an attorney would anywhere else. Uh, we've got our, our caseload. Uh, my job as the command judge advocate, I attend a lot of meetings for the brigade, uh, much like a corporate in-house counsel would in the states, where you have to keep up on, on kind of what's happening with, with all the operations, uh, what's happening with the outlying battalions, um, kind of how everything is going to kind of keep a handle on, on how things are how things are going, and also to make sure that uh, you kind of work as kind of almost run in the background like a virus check at a lot of these meetings, just to say, okay, that looks good, or you might need to think about uh, this or the other issue in, in that situation. So uh, really have every day is a little bit different, and every day is a lot the same. Um, we come in, we have a lot of different work, a lot of different cases, a lot of different things happen. We hope we don't come into a tragedy, but if we do, then we, we shift gears and, and take care of that. So um, days, we, we, work, we work seven days a week here, uh, basically. I don't give people a hard time about showing up early on Sundays, but otherwise, more or less everyone here is by, by about 8 o'clock in the morning. Everyone's here. I try and get out of here most nights by 7 or 8 at night. Sometimes it's later. Sometimes it's earlier. And uh, we get through what we can, and we hit it again the next day. Now, as, you're, as part of your duties uh, in meeting with your commanding officers, do you provide advice on war issues? We sure do. Right. We are charged as judge advocates with uh, knowing and advising our commanders on things such as the rules of engagement, which are those rules set out by our higher commanders that say these are the targets you can engage uh, when and in um, with what weapons you can use and who needs to approve those. Uh, the rules of engagement themselves are classified, which it makes some sense if you think about it, but those are our rules as far as what weapons do we employ when and how do we conduct our, our military operations. Uh, we advise them on, um, you know, different other things that we do. Uh, escalation of force is a, is a big issue. How do we go out and, and what processes do we use um, before we would engage a target with, with lethal force? Um, it, lots of different different things like that that we talk about. We certainly do get, get involved in that. We are kind of the, well, not kind of, we are the check to say, can we do this, can we do this, and how does this fit within the various frameworks, uh, whether, that's a, um, whether that's the rules of engagement that have been put out by our headquarters, whether that's the law of armed, armed conflict, uh, the international agreements with the Geneva Conventions that say these are the things you can and can't do, or whether it's some other body of, of law, whether that be orders from our higher headquarters or other you know, army regulations. So the rules of engagement are a combination of uh, rules that have been written by the United States as well as foreign governments? They are, although there's rules of engagement which are set by our higher headquarters for the country. But each, each government, for example, we work with the Australians, uh, the Australian Army, with the Romanian Army, uh, until recently we worked with the Italian Army. Uh, each of those countries may develop their own rules of engagement within parameters set by a higher headquarters. So they may have more restrictive use of certain weaponry than we do, but, uh, you know, the agreement is they may not expand that 
beyond the, you know, the standing rules of engagement for the entire theater. So they're similar but not identical. Well, it's kind of a not-to-exceed kind of, you know, this is, this is what you, you can't do more than this, but within this framework you can, you know, make adjustments. Tell us about the, the legal issues for, for the soldiers that, that might, might come in. I mean, what kinds of uh, matters are you addressing for them? We address um, just about anything you might see in a, in a general practice, small town, or just a small law office. Uh, it, you know, we've got several thousand people that we provide legal assistance for, and uh, my legal assistance attorney, uh, Captain Larson, has now researched the laws of all 50 states. He's researched the family laws of all 50 states. He has he answers questions. A lot of it is our family issues because these guys are away from home for a long time. As you might expect, that doesn't strengthen relationships uh, in most cases. Uh, it comes down to landlord-tenant issues. Uh, we have issues with creditors who maybe don't understand the Service Member Civil Relief Act or maybe get their information uh, from the news instead of from the the paperwork that was submitted, and so think, oh, Bill has been gone for a year, he must be back, not recognizing that people are, are gone for longer than that. Uh, small business issues, we have people come in to talk about patents, we have people that come in to talk about uh, all sorts of things, child custody, uh, you know, really really the run-of-the-mill, um, powers of attorney, wills, estate planning, you know, my dad died, this is what's happening in probate court. Can you help me figure out what's going on? So, we really have. A, we've seen over. We've had over 1,600 client contacts since uh, we got here in country in April of last year. Captain Larson has basically had all of those, and it's a it's a real challenge to try and spin yourself up on the laws of all 50 states and try and give some background information on the, on any of those issues that might come up. Based on your experience now, do you think your practice of law will change when you get back home? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that it will. Um, I'm not sure what I'll have for a practice when I get back home, to be perfectly honest with you. With a, a uh, office of two people running my own office, it's, it's going to be a real challenge to try and put that back together when I get there. I know my partner's doing the best he can, but you still have to your staff in a matter of you know a few weeks, and so we'll see. I really had a pretty broad practice where before I started, and I suspect I'll go back and pretty much continue with what I was doing before I left. Do you think you're going to add any level of international law, given uh, the amount of experience you've had with uh, war issues and understanding how other governments work? I doubt I will, probably more because of my geographic location than anything. I come from a small town. The biggest town in our county is about 1,300 people. so. There isn't a lot of opportunity where I live unless I was were going to move to a larger city to uh, to really get involved in that. But that has been an interesting aspect of, of what we do here in working with the with the various governments on funding issues, on um, access, acquisition and cross servicing agreements between the various governments, uh, the various agreements between you know the different coalition forces. So that has certainly been a new experience for me, but I doubt I will have an opportunity to apply a lot of that when I get back. You, you've, uh, you said that you're, you've described a law practice uh, there that, that in many ways is very similar, as you said, to, to what lawyers might do here. What, what's been different about it for you? What, what struck you as, as, uh, how, as significant ways in which uh, being deployed in Iraq has been different from practicing law in, uh, in Minnesota? 
there is, there's, you're right, there are a lot of similarities, and a person who is a good lawyer in the civilian world will fairly easily become a good lawyer in the military world. They, there are some significant differences, though, um, particularly in the areas of uh, military justice. When I'm back home, we do county prosecution, and I'm, you know, it's a different places called different things. We're called county attorneys. They might call them a district attorney or whatever name you put on it. But basically, you know, as the guy who's doing criminal prosecution back home, I make the decision whether or not to charge this case. You know, I look at the evidence. I take a look at it and say, yeah, I think I can prove this case. No, I can't. These are the risks. And decide to charge it at this level or not. In the military system, we as attorneys don't have that authority. The command has that authority, and so we are really in an advisory role. So we can, part of our job is to advise people that outrank us uh, in most cases, well, pretty much in all cases, about, yes, this is a good case to bring, or no, this is not a good case to bring, and this is why. And that uh, presents some real challenges uh, to us as attorneys because we're in the civilian world, you're used to dealing with a judge who's trained in those, you know, in the law. Um, you're dealing with yourself as an attorney who's got some background and training. You're dealing with uh, police officers and in the criminal areas anyway, typically police officers, other investigators that are professionally trained in that area. In the military, you teach your commanders. Your line officers are doing, and your other officers, staff officers, are doing a lot of that work. So that's that's a real challenge, and it's... Uh, can be frustrating sometimes coming from an environment where you make the decision to being someone where you, you provide advice and try to get someone else to make make a good decision. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about the military system is the levels of, of due process that are afforded. It, it, soldiers are entitled to have a trial and basically have the same due process in a different context, the same due process that they would get in the civilian world. However, we have a number of abbreviated uh, systems that the command will typically use, what we call non-judicial punishment. And that involves a uh, commander making, uh, administering some punishment. And depending upon the level of due process, there's a, there's a limit to how much punishment can be imposed. So, for example, what we would call an Article 15 um, has some parameters depending on the rank of an individual um, imposing the punishment. It can take so many dollars to pay. You can reduce the person in rank. Uh, you can give them extra duty or restriction, which really doesn't mean much here. Um, if you move up to the next level, summary court-martial, the summary court-martial officer has, you get greater due process and the potential for greater penalties and so on until you get to a general court-martial, which is a full-blown trial with a board of officers that acts as a jury and a military judge who is, in fact, a lawyer who's been trained. So uh, that's a very different process and uh, can be... It works in the sense that it is very efficient. The soldier can choose to have a general court-martial or demand a general court-martial on um, basically any charge that's brought up against him, uh, but, of course, does so at his peril if he can, you know, if he thinks he's guilty and he knows his limit punishment is, is different at the Article 15 level. So the whole criminal justice type of process is, is quite different here. And uh, I'm not saying it's, it, does, it, it works, but it's... Uh, that has been a distinct change and, and certainly has presented some new challenges to shift hats from the guy who makes the decision and working with all legally trained people to now being in a position where you are an advisor and trying to 
give the background information to the command to make a good decision. Do you interface or deal at all with the local justice system? And I guess for that matter, is there really a local justice system in Iraq? There is. Well, that would depend on who you ask, I guess, to, to some extent. But, um, yeah, I mean, they do have a, they do have their own system of justice. They do have courts. They do have uh, people who are active lawyers. And, but we, we have very little interaction with them. We have interaction only to the extent that uh, from time to time, well, I, let me take it back. We have interaction in a few ways. There are certain things uh, where we're located here in Dakar province, we've had uh, what we call PIC, and that is when we turn this over to the Iraqis. And in that process, then uh, if the local nationals, the people who live here, the Iraqis, would commit a crime, if they do whatever, we turn them over to the local people to prosecute. We don't have any authority over them. So we work with them on that level. Uh, they have also, the Iraqi government has also uh, prosecuted some, uh, or is working on prosecuting some folks who are insurgents, who, uh, who caused the death of some of our service members. And so to that extent, I don't have direct interaction, but we, we're helping to try and facilitate the flow of information for that, for that process. But really, as far as any direct involvement, we don't have much, pretty much none right here. What can you, I mean, you've said that you, you're working seven days a week uh, from uh, at least 12 hours a day, it sounds like. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, life outside the office? Is there one? Uh, are you, do you have any time for, for recreation or, or, uh, or, or downtime, as we might call it? Uh, we get a little. There's not a lot to do here, so it's, it's not like you're going to go home and, uh, you know, or go out and watch a movie or do whatever else. Uh, there's, we've got on post here, it depends on where you're at, really. Some places have greater and less uh, recreational opportunities. Uh, we've got we've got a gym here that's not too bad. Um, we've got the MWR facility that's morale, welfare, and recreation. They've got books. They've got movies you can check out. They've got computers. Uh, the, the people that are younger than me uh, go play video games and that kind of thing. Um, we've got a couple of sort of restaurants here where you can go and have pizza instead of eating at the dining facility if you choose to. But there's not an awful lot. I try and give my paralegals at least one day a week off, and the rest of us try and take somewhere into a two- to four-hour block during the week sometime just to kind of get things together. And for me personally, I just my downtime for the week is I don't set my alarm clock Sunday morning, and so I get here maybe 10 o'clock instead of 8 o'clock. Uh, some of my officers will take an afternoon off here and there. But for the most part, it's a pretty steady come to the office and, uh, do what you do and, you know, get get some, some dinner and then get back at it. So, sounds a lot like law practice in the United States. It, it can be. You're right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, depending on the week, you're right. Yeah. We just can't go have a beer when we're done. Well, when you decided to become a JAG officer, did you know that you were in for this level of work? And uh, what was it that, that influenced you to become a JAG officer? Well, I've been an enlisted soldier in the National Guard uh, Well. I got uh, my law degree. One of the guys, uh, my first job, one of the people I worked with happened to be an officer in the National Guard. I was still an enlisted person in the National Guard. I said, hey, I'll put you in touch with these folks who can help you out getting into the JAG side of things. I was ready to make a change anyway. Um, I had done the combat arms for a number of years. Uh, it was fun. It, I was just, frankly, tired of it, ready for a change. So 
And you also couldn't argue with the fact that you're going to go from a, a specialist E4 to a, a lieutenant O2, which uh, more or less doubled my paycheck. And it, it's been interesting. I mean, you, the one thing you can't complain about over here is the variety and the um, kind of work that we do. You know, everything from foreign claims to, I mean, it comes in here. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's been tough on my civilian life, but in a strictly professional manner, it certainly is a completely new area of law. It's uh, new regulations. It's new new stuff, and it's and, and really what I enjoy more than anything is just the interaction with soldiers. Soldiers are just just kind of neat people. They're uh, different yeah, overall. They're a lot the same as just everybody on the street, but there's just a, there's a different quality. There's a different way of doing business among soldiers that I've always appreciated uh, over my 17 years, and I still do. And I think more than anything, that's kept me kept me at it. Well, it's time for us to take a short break. When we return, we will get some final thoughts from Major John Engels. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We'd like to welcome back to our program Major John A. Engels. Uh, Major Engels, I, I, I wonder, you've alluded to the, the impact this has had on your practice back in Minnesota. Uh, what what did you do, if anything, to prepare your practice uh, uh, for this assignment? What steps did you take before you left? I actually uh, did not have the benefit of very much notice. I got uh, was told I was coming in about between three and four weeks before I actually had to leave. And me and my partner were already 
working more than two people should. So it was really more or less a, but as, well, as your listeners and you can no doubt relate to, it uh, was kind of a disaster. I did my best to, I just basically shut my door and quit answering the phone and tried to get as much off my desk as I could. Um, did my best to transfer some files to my partner and tried to close as much stuff as I could. Obviously notified clients that I wouldn't be there and why and uh, I did the best I could. It isn't the best way to do it, but it's what I what I could do at the time I had. How was your client's reaction to the notice that you were going to be gone for such a long period of time? For the most part, uh, people were were very supportive, and I am very thankful for that. Uh, they were, you know, under. I don't know if it's part of being a small community or just the fact that that people are great folks uh, no matter where you go. But we had, um, for the most part, they were very supportive. They understood that. You know, it was uh, it was something that I, I couldn't control, and that they would do the best they could to to put things together. It'll be more interesting to see what what happens when I get home. But really, people have been great. They were really terrific. Have you had the opportunity to talk with your partner since you've been gone? I've exchanged a few emails. Um, yeah, we've uh, corresponded a little bit. He's pretty busy, and so am I. But uh, I've talked to him a few times. Um, exchanged some emails. The nine-hour time change is a challenge, but yeah, we've uh, corresponded a bit. And what about keeping in touch with your family? How are you able to do that? I've, I've been pretty lucky. Our our brigade uh, has... One thing that's neat about being in the National Guard is that you draw people from all walks of life. You draw attorneys. You draw, We have people who are sergeants who are attorneys. We have people who are electrical engineers. We have people who are computer programmers, architects, you name it. And we were able to tap some of that expertise and, and set up a privately owned and run internet um, internet service, satellite internet service. And so I basically rely on, on that to talk to my family. We've got, I set up the webcam, I visit with my wife almost every night on that, and that's been a real, a real blessing. It took a month or so to get it hooked up here, and in that time I was using the telephone, much like I'm, I'm talking to you, but... Since I got that hooked up, that's a, been a real neat thing, uh, particularly for my younger children. It's just more real to them if they can see you and hear you at the same time. So you've become more technologically astute as well as more astute in military law. Yeah, that's right. I, I spent a, a good deal. Of, that was one of the few things that I was able to set up successfully before I left was to get uh, get the webcam set up and get the software downloaded, and, and fortunately uh, it's worked well. Can you tell us a little bit about how uh, the troops that you deal with are uh, dealing with the people in Iraq in terms of helping them and what kind of response uh, they've received in trying to uh, set up the democracy uh, in Iraq? Sure. Uh, we have, as a brigade, we have a fairly robust uh, civil-military civil operations, is what we call it, uh, program. And with that, we go out and we, we try to work with the local folks to do things to improve their communities, uh, whether that's cleaning up the highways, whether that's building roads. Uh, whether it, What our brigade has focused on more than anything is trying to provide uh, good, clean water for folks. We're down here in southern Iraq, and, and water is a very scarce commodity here in the desert. We've spent uh, some eight eight almost, well, a little over $9 million now, I think, by the, by the latest numbers in projects for the Iraqi people. Uh, we've begun another several million dollars of uh, pro programs that we hope to get done in distributing. And mostly it's, it's 
reverse osmosis plants, it's water distribution. It's uh, something as simple as a 200-gallon red water tank that someone can put by their house and get clean water instead of drinking it right out of the river. And so we've had a good relationship uh, with the local population that way. Uh, the local shakes we deal with directly as lawyers and in the claim setting. Um, we also do what we can to hire the local population to do work for us, and whether that's um, helping clean uh, the bathrooms here on on the bays or uh, helping clean up the highway or, you know, cleaning the canals so that they can, um, you know, restart the agriculture in this area. area. And all of that is, is a good thing to get people employed and, and to uh, kind of improve their lives and, and improve lives and start to rebuild this country. What do you see as the biggest challenge in Iraq? What I see as the biggest challenge in Iraq is the same thing that I'm sure everyone there sees uh, from watching the television every night, and that is just, you know, the, and this is just John Ingalls talking. This is not me talking on behalf of the, of the Army, but this is just my personal view on this is that, you know, the security situation here is, is obviously important. Um, the rule of law, uh, which is is important, um, and obviously it's hard to rebuild a society when people don't aren't secure in their homes. They don't trust the people around them, and there's problems that way. So it's a it's a tough nut to crack. You know, you've got a, a society that was oppressed for a long time and uh, has not been accustomed to a lot of the things that we take for granted. It's going, to, it's going to take them some time. Well, we want to give you an opportunity to uh, get personal and uh, send a message back to your friends, uh, your, the people in your town, your colleagues, and your family. So uh, if you'd like to say anything, uh, here's your opportunity. Oh, well, thank you. If I could just put in a shift gears here a little bit and put in a little bit of plug for our guys when they get home. Um, you know, we're going to have a lot of folks... We, whether from the 34th, uh, the 1BCT, 34th Infantry Division, or, or throughout the country that are coming back off of these things. Um, I just, you know, would encourage, particularly since your audience is mostly attorneys, to make sure they're familiar with things like uh, the U USERA, which is Reemployment Rights Act, like the Service Member Civil Relief Act. Um, we, A lot of these guys are going to have a, a lot of significant challenges trying to kind of reintegrate into their communities, trying to get their jobs back, try and put their lives back together. Uh, they're going to have family problems and a lot of things like that. So um, I know the state of Minnesota is doing a good job trying to push that down to their local communities, and I, I, guess, I guess I hope that uh, the people out there will be supportive and help these guys get back going. Um, for me personally, I'd, li I'd really like to say thank you and uh, to my, my wife and family. Um, they're in this at least. They, they are making at least as big a sacrifice as I am, if not more. I'd like to say thank you to the local communities who have really been wonderful in, in supporting me and my family, uh, whether that was before I left, uh, like you had mentioned, with my clients who have been supportive, uh, with the churches and the, the community members who have, who have really come and uh, helped out my wife and my children, and, and everybody's come together and really been just just terrific. And uh, I would like to pass on my personal thanks to each of those people. I wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays, and I'm looking forward to getting back home here sometime early spring 2007.
Well, Major Engels, we've uh, really been honored to have you on this program. Uh, we always like to give our guests an opportunity to uh, uh, give out their contact information or email or, or uh, whatever if they'd like to do that. Is that something you'd want to do? Yeah, I can do that. That'd be fine. Um, my email address is uh, john, J-O-H-N dot Engels, E-N-G-E-L-S at U-S dot Army dot Mill. And... Um, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. The phone, there's no real phone uh, service in here. And, um, yeah, and, you know, there's a lot of us out there. You would mentioned there are a lot of JAG attorneys here, there, and the other place. Um, you know, people do have military law questions in their own practices. I know I've gotten calls from people over the years, and we're usually happy to get those, and uh, sometimes can, can help point people in the right direction, whether it's a family law or whatever other issues. So, um yeah, that's my contact information. It's been great talking to you guys. Thank you very much, Major Engels. We uh, realize that your Christmas is not going to be like our Christmas back here, and our heartfelt thanks to you in serving your country and your taking time from your busy schedule, a very busy schedule, to talk with us today. Uh, thank you very much, and, and we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. All right, take care. Merry Christmas, too. Well, Craig, that wraps up the program for today. Uh, it's been uh, an interesting talk, and uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. Look forward to it, Bob. Thanks very much, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.